Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Dr. Phil here. Come February 27th, you're going to be able to pick up a book called We've Got Issues, and you know we do. This is a book that says it's going to teach you how to stand strong for America's soul and sanity. And in this book, I set forth 10 principles for saving this society from going off the deep end. 10 principles for protecting your family. 10 principles for giving you what you need to flourish and have the life that you want for yourself and for your children and for your grandchildren. We've taken some wrong turns. We've been letting the loudest voices dictate some of the thinking that has taken us way off course. Well, I'm speaking up and bringing us back to the center of the road. I hope you'll pick this book up and I hope you'll read it with a real open mind because I'm pushing back against a lot of what you've been hearing. Somebody had to do it. Might as well be me. February 27th, we've got issues. Today on an all-new Dr. Phil. A couple accused in a horrific child abuse case. They survived a house of horrors. Locks on the refrigerator, blood splattered on a wall. Now for the first time. I can't stand straight. I'm like dizzy right now. You just hang on to me. The children speak out. What they fed us, it wasn't decent to eat. If the food was moldy or rotten. I'd be forced to eat it. We were stealing food. We cut a hole in the wall to pass food through to each other. Your hair started falling out. You were not supposed to sleep. If we got caught sleeping, we'd get punished. There was dried blood on that board. Was that your blood? Let's do it. Have a good show, everybody. Here we go. This is a safe place to talk about hard things. Stand by. We'll count you down. I'll try to be an emotional compass and point you in the right direction. Five, four. I am not giving up on you. I've always said that this is a show that does not just report the news, but takes you behind the headlines to truly understand the breadth and depth of a story and its psychological impact on those involved. Today is one of those days. It all started here inside this pretty suburban house in an upscale neighborhood in Washington State. Sandra and Jeff Weller lived there with their six children but they were far from the perfect parents. Take a closer look at this house. Why is that window covered with newspapers? The couple was hiding secrets so shocking, they were hauled off in handcuffs on national news. Police say what was discovered behind closed doors was nothing short of a living nightmare. The couple accused in a horrific child abuse case in Vancouver. 
The windows of Jeff and Sandra Weller's home shielded with newspaper while surveillance cameras are mounted to the front of the house. On the inside, the state has removed all six children. Elena lives in the same cul-de-sac as the Wellers and called the police on them on more than one occasion. What did you see in here? Smacking hitting, bashing, crying for mercy, please stop. On the outside of the home, it seemed normal, but the children inside scavenged for cans of food they pried open with knives. There were locks on the refrigerator and food pantry. Also alarms, cameras, and locks on the windows and doors of the children's rooms. And brutal beatings with this piece of lumber police found covered in dry blood. She would call for Jeff and tell him it's time for their beating. And he would say, how many? And she Help finally came after a desperate note scribbled down by the oldest daughter in her counselor's office. It said she and her twin brother would be beaten when they left the house. Two days later, CPS and police officers showed up at the house. This after 25 previous reports coming from a teacher, a therapist, a school nurse, medical staff. The list goes on and on. The defense maintains the twins were not abused. Did you ever strike any of the kids yourself? No. Ever hit them with a belt or any object? I have PTSD. I'm not going to go near that. Jeffrey Weller also denied the abuse. So you tried to avoid the board too? I did avoid the board because I didn't do it. The Wellers were each sentenced to 20 years in prison. In 2013, Jeff and Sandra were found guilty and are currently serving a 20 year prison sentence. But how did all of this begin? Jeff's ex-wife, Tina, says she saw hints of trouble but never imagined the horrors behind closed doors. Her current husband, Mike, says they tried to call CPS, but no one, no one would listen. I was married to Jeff for six years, and we had two boys. Even though Jeff was abusive during my marriage, I never thought he would hurt one of my boys. Jeff changed dramatically when he met Sandra. Sandy portrays this person that, that's just this outstanding mom when she's actually very manipulative. Sandra had twins, and Krista, when I very first saw her, she was nine years old and was bald. Ian and his younger brother would go see Jeff every other weekend. The boys told us that the food was locked up at Jeff and Sandy's house. The twins would steal food because they weren't getting fed. I probably called CPS on Jeff about 10 times or more. CPS would go to the home, but I was made out to be the bad guy. Jeff called CPS and said that I was doing drugs. He said that I was sexually abusing my boys. None of the reports were true. In 2008, Ian told the school counselor that Sandra and Jeff were beating the twins with a board. I was pissed. I knew Jeff already had reports on him about beating the twins with a board. CPS had already been involved in the situation. And again, nothing happened. It felt like Jeff had overtaken the Child Protective Services system. He and Sandy had just turned it into a their world. They were the law. The only way I feel I could protect Tina and the boys was to get a guardian ad litem appointed to prove that our family was fit and that we deserve full custody of the boys. Getting the guardian ad litem was probably the biggest mistake of my life. She removed my boys from me and placed them in their father's home. I was in shock. They placed my children with the monster.
you've got a guardian ad litem here. You ask for an ad litem appointment. So, and for people who don't know, an ad litem is someone that represents the children with no ties to anybody else. They are totally devoted to the children's interest, no one else. That's what you did, correct? Yes. And you thought that was the only way to really get something done? That's the only way I thought. Why do you say it's the biggest mistake you ever made in your life? Because she removed my children and placed them with their father. So you have these children and they're, they're being nurtured and loved by the two of you. A guardian ad litem comes in, evaluates the situation, takes them away from you and moves them into a house of horrors. Correct. How does that happen? Well, when she first came to our house, she never went into the bedrooms. She never walked past the front doors. She didn't want to. She said she didn't need to. And so she left there, and the two of you felt like the truth is obvious that we're good people with a good home. She didn't need to dig further because it's obvious on its face. That's what I thought. So then she goes and does a visit to the other house. Pretty much the same type of visit. Front she, room visit. Mm -hmm. Take me through the moment when you were told these boys were being taken away and moved to this other house. I was at court. It was June 3rd. And the judge looked at me and said, your boys are being removed immediately and placed to their father. So I went home and started packing their stuff and told my boys that they had to leave and that they had to go to their dads and that I would get to see them on the weekends. How did your children's behavior change once they started staying with Jeff and Sandra? They were hungry a lot when they would come home. They were very clingy to us. They didn't want to go back. You said that your son Ian would hold on to the walls, he literally. Would, yeah, Ian hold would. Hold the walls and say, I, I, I won't go back. I don't want to go back. Ian would hold on to the walls. Um, my younger son would cry. As this unfolded, what did you learn about what was actually going on? They had no beds that they were sleeping underneath a table at their dad's house. Did you know about beatings? Did you know about being starved? Ian would, had told us that there was a board that was being used. And I didn't know what that meant. This is a man you were married to at one point. Could you envision him doing these things to your children? No, I could not. I would have never thought that he would have turned out to be a monster. Coming up, Tina's 18-year-old son is speaking out for the first time about the horror he endured at the hands of his father, Jeff, and stepmother, Sandra. He's never spoken about this before. Uh, but he feels like it's time to give a voice to what happened inside that house. We'll be right back.
every day was a bad day. They had locks on the pantry and the fridge because they weren't feeding us. We were stealing food. Life was a living hell. Jeff brought out the board. It was like a two by four bloodied up. There was some staples in it. And later. If we got caught sleeping, we'd get punished. What did they feed you? Grease, flat out grease that comes in like containers and stuff, saying that it would actually get us like fatter. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Due to the things that the Wellers put me through, I have severe nightmares that I'm on medications for. I think that my boys have not told me everything that's gone on in the home. I think the reason that they do that is so that they don't hurt me. I feel like I could have done more to help my children. So for me, I feel like I'm a failure at a mom for not being able to be there to protect them. Take a look at some of these photos from inside what police dubbed the House of Horrors. Locks on the refrigerator, cameras watching the children's every move so they couldn't steal food, blood splattered on a wall. Now, Tina's son, Ian, was 14 at the time. Social workers and law enforcement rescued him and five other siblings on October 7th, 2011. He is now 18, and he wants to tell his story. Even though Jeff is my father, I do not call him dad. I call Jeff the sperm donor. Sandra was the puppet master. Sandra would tell Jeff to beat the twins, and she would say, this is how many times you need to hit them, and then he would go and do it. Just before we moved in with Jeff and Sandra, Jeff brought out the board. It was like a two by four bloodied up. There was some staples in it. He beat the twins in the kitchen. We used to have to hit the twins and call them names. If we didn't do it, we would get in trouble. Every day was a bad day. Jeff worked a night shift and Sandra stayed home all day. Jeff and Sandra would sleep until four. When they would wake up, you would get bitched at for about two, three hours. Wouldn't get any food until about midnight. Sandy would make macaroni and cheese for the two youngest. For me and my younger brother, we would get what was left. The twins would get moldy food, spinach, shortening, and moldy bread. They had locks on the pantry and the fridge because they weren't feeding us, so we were stealing food. The pantry was about this big. We'd pop out all the hinges, and then we'd pry the door up and then pull it open. If we took the canned food, we would grab a knife and we'd stab the can and then cut around it so we could take the lid off and eat the canned food. My room was right next to the twins' room, so we cut a hole in the wall to pass food through to each other. Life was a living hell with Jeff and Sandy. Well, Ian, I'm, I'm glad to meet you. Glad to meet and, you, uh, too. I hate that this happened to you. I, uh, I hate that you went through this. But let me ask you before we talk about some of the specifics. What, when you found out that 
Child Protective Services, the, the guardian ad litem, had gotten involved in this and made the decision that you were going to go there not just occasionally, but that you were going to have to move there. What what did you say to yourself? I was scared. Were you worried that it would get so bad you would die there? I was. When you were there, where were you? What what did you do? I was in the room. I was pretty much had to stay in there until they woke up. So you were in the room upstairs? Yes. And there were cameras? Yes. So they could track you and see where you were going? Yes. And what would trigger these beatings? Anything. Didn't matter what it was. We, we saw this board, and this is something that, it, you know, it had staples in the end of it. It was, I mean, this is a weapon. You could kill somebody with this. When, when this board would be used for, for beatings, who decided how many times you were going to get hit? Sandra did. Was there any explanation as to why? No. Tell me about having to hit the twins. It was hard. I didn't want to. What, what would they say to you about that, about they said, hitting them? They said you needed to hit them, and if you don't, then you're going to get in trouble. Just punch them? Yeah. And what did the twins do when you were forced to punch them? They would have to sit there and take it. I didn't like doing it. Why do you think they were treated differently than you? I think it was because Sandra adopted them. Tell me about the food that was in the house. What, what did y'all survive on? They gave the twins the moldy food, spinach, shortening, moldy bread. They would give us leftover whatever the little ones had. Did you ever tell your mother that you were being hit, beaten, starved? I told her that I had been hit, but I didn't tell her how many times because I didn't want her to worry. Do you think she let you down? No. Do you blame her at all? No. There was a time that you feel like you had an opportunity to shoot and kill these people. Yeah, we were in the garage. Jeff left the gun safe open, and we grabbed them. Were they loaded? We did load them, and we were going to go inside and kill all of them. What stopped you? We didn't know if we were going to get in trouble for what we did. As you sit here now, are you glad you stopped, or do you regret that you stopped? I honestly regret that I stopped. You wish that you had I really do. gone in that house and shot him dead? Yes. Well, coming up, she was locked in a dark closet 24 hours a day. No electricity, just a little ray of light from a window. For the first time ever, one of those twins describes her life of abuse. She'll join us after the break. How often would you be beaten with this board? If not daily, almost every other day. There was dried blood on the end of that board. Was that your blood? Yeah, pretty much. And later, your hair started falling out. I knew something was wrong. Like, I wasn't like a normal kid. That's kind of hard to deal with still. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. 
Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Appearing nervous and not wanting to look at her adoptive parents in court, this teenage girl testified in the trial against Jeffrey and Sandra Weller. The couple's charged with imprisoning, starving, and beating the girl and her twin brother. We put a hole in the wall so we could get the food from our brothers through the other wall. Brutal details about how they were abused, including repeatedly being beaten by a piece of lumber they simply called the board. When you would get caught, who would take the blame? I would. Why is that? Because I didn't want to see my brothers get hit. In 2011, 16-year-old twins and their four siblings were beaten, imprisoned, and starved by their adoptive mother, Sandra Weller, and their father, Jeff Weller. Now, according to court testimony, the twins suffered the most. When they were rescued, one of the twins, Krista, weighed only 69 pounds and was bald due to malnutrition and stress. It's been four years since she was freed from that house of horrors. Krista says she is now ready to tell her story for the first time ever. Now, Krista is understandably extremely nervous, as you can well imagine. So she's asked that I come backstage and escort her out here and, and, and help her uh, feel comfortable in coming out. So if you all just be patient, I'm going to go get her and bring her out now. Pretty good. Yourself? Doing okay. All right. You comfortable? Um, I can't stand straight, so I'm like dizzy right now. Yeah. So you just hang on to me. I'm a big guy and very strong. So, okay. So you're not going to go anywhere, okay? Okay. Got a little step for you where you can step up here so you don't have to climb too much. There we go. Good? All right. You're very brave to be here today, so thank you so much uh, for being here and talking about this. So people understand, tell me what a day in your life was like. What time did you wake up? Um, that actually depends on if we actually got sleep, Sandy or Jeff would like just barge into the room. And then if we got caught sleeping, we'd get punished. So yeah. you were not supposed to sleep? No, like they didn't want us sleeping, I guess. Cause either we had to clean up our room because they'd throw the dresser drawers all over the ground, empty it. Everything would be like all over the place pretty much. Mm -hmm. And how many hours a day were you in this room? Um, all day except for to go downstairs, eat like what they gave us. What did they feed you? Um, shortening, spices, spinach. 
And when you say shortening, what, what, what do you mean? Like grease, flat out grease that comes in like containers and stuff. They would just give it to you to eat? They'd like try to force us to eat it along with the spinach, saying that it would actually get us like fatter. If the food was moldy or rotten, would you eat it anyway? I'd be forced to eat it. What they fed us, it wasn't decent food to eat. If we didn't swallow it, we'd, she'd add spices straight to our mouths. Like what kind of spices? Um, pizza spice, pretty much almost like every spice, like lemon pepper, steak seasoning. Just dump it in your mouth? Either that or a lot in our bowl, like just pile it up in our bowls too. And then you had to eat it? Yeah. Your hair started falling out. D did you notice that you were really emaciated? Did you notice you were really skinny? Like, I knew something was wrong. Like, I wasn't like a normal kid. And then the fact that nobody did anything to help. I mean, people tried, like Tina and Mike, um, they tried to get us out um, multiple times. But um, the fact that the state didn't help, um, that's kind of hard to deal with still. How often would you be beaten with this board? If not daily, almost every other day. And um, when you would get beaten with the board, there was dried blood on the end of that board. Was that your blood? Um, yeah, pretty much. You said you took the beatings for your brothers sometimes. Seems how I was the oldest in the house, like I felt like it was right to do. Did y'all support each other, the kids? My brother Ian would always <laughs> let us out of the room. He'd, un um, he'd turn off the alarm um, and then we put a hole through the through a wall so they could pass food through. Did Ian give you food? Yeah, a lot of times because um, they started putting up cameras in the house. Are you and Ian friends now? Yeah. It's not painful to see him? It's not a reminder of what happened? It's, it's okay to see him? It sort of is um, a reminder, but like I know I'll get over it eventually. Krista left a note with her therapist that led to their rescue. Uh, how did you smuggle the note to her? With your permission, I would like to show you some of the Weller's testimony from court, a, a videotape. Is it okay to show you that? Yeah. Okay, take a look at this. After eight separate allegations of abuse lodged with the State Office of Child Protective Services, the Wellers finally went before a judge. During the trial, the twins said the Wellers physically abused them, withheld food, and did other things that the prosecution referred to as torture. The defense maintains the twins were not abused and that the Wellers even took them on trips to the coast. I am not going to make my children eat anything that I myself will not eat. Did the twins eat breakfast? Yeah, they did. All day, all the time. One by one, Sandra Weller denied the abuse allegations. Took away electricity. No. Took away light. They had light. Took away education. 
I was educating them. I had curriculum coming out of my ears. I was spending all day with them. That's all I did. I gave up my career to be with them. The craziest thing that I heard at trial was to hear Sandy say that because of what the kids are saying, she's going to lose her dream, her beautiful home. Sandra became emotional when describing the state of a dirty bedroom, saying her adopted twin daughter often defecated on the floor. That was a brand new house. That was my, that was my dream home. No, I wouldn't want anybody to ruin it. That was probably the most disturbing thing I've ever heard in my life out of anybody's mouth. How do the two of y'all respond to just saying it's all lies, nothing happened? I can come up with a lot of responses, but I'm pretty sure they are not appropriate for the camera. <laughs> yeah, same with you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very much so. Yeah, pretty, pretty much that, that says it all. Why did she take you to a therapist? Um, I guess she tried to make herself look good. Um, Did she I coach you on what to say? She always coached us. Like there was not, pretty much not a day that went by that we were going to therapy that she wouldn't coach us. Krista left a note with her therapist that led to their rescue. She wrote, and this is a, a note you can see, I need you to call CPS. Me and my sibling are being beat with a board about three and a half feet long. If you need proof, the bottom portion of the stick is literally covered in dry blood. Parents have promised the board to us after we leave your office because our room is not clean. Please help. Uh, how did you smuggle the note to her? Well... As soon as one of my brothers was done with um, his part of therapy, I was supposed to go in, um, put the note on the chair, and then sit down like it was already there. Um, and then I guess she came in I guess, and saw it and moved it to her desk and um, just sat down and started therapy. So... But you knew she had it in her hand. You yeah, knew I had. saw her move it to the desk. Mm -hmm. And when CPS would come to your house, because there were visits, because they were alerted, were called, what were you told to do when they were in the house? Um, pretty much act like everything was fine. Um, so me and one of my brothers, we decided to... Um, come up with our own little way of letting them know when we were lying. Um, like, for example, if we were lying, we'd, like, fidget a lot. Um, or we'd, like, give them some sort of signal. Like, um, we were asked if we were fine. Um, we said yes, but, like, we started fidgeting, like, a lot. So, um... That's pretty much how we let CPS know. When Mike and Tina heard Jeff and Sandra's guilty verdict, they decided to take one more step for the children who had suffered so much at the hands of these monsters. They sued the state of Washington. They'll 
They'll tell us the results when we come back. They need to be held accountable. We don't know the exact amount they offered. The mediator said, no, get more for these kids. Department of Social and Health Services is at the center of a lawsuit. They're accused of not acting fast enough when five children were abused by their parents, Jeff and Sandy Weller. The social workers got 25 warnings about the abuse. Now the children's extended family is helping them to reach out to attorneys who are making the multi-million dollar claim against the state. And at a minimum, they were required under Washington law to contact law enforcement, and they didn't do any of those things. Over the past eight years, Washington's Department of Social and Health Services has reportedly been hit with scores of lawsuits, ultimately paying $166.4 million for failing to protect children under its care. Krista and Ian are two of those children who were overlooked for many years until they were finally rescued in 2011. Um, so you guys decided they needed to be held accountable and filed a lawsuit, right? Yes, they needed to be held accountable. They, they came in, offered low ball. They offered. Extremely low. We don't know the amount, the exact amount they offered, mm -hmm. but it was low enough that the mediator said, no. Not going to do it. Go back to your bosses and get more for these kids. Mm -hmm. They had to step up and pony up, and uh, so the twins got a substantial multi-million settlement. Uh, there's not any amount of money that makes it okay. Right. Uh, but it does help. It at least allows you to do some of the things that you, you need to do to close the gap and, and, and get your life uh, back together. So why did it take CPS so long to react? According to court documents, there were approximately 42 tips between 2003 and 2008 that we know of from unidentified callers, neighbors, relatives, school nurse, school secretary, medical professionals, and teachers regarding the children. Um, and then in May 5th of 05, a relative was told the case was closed. May 13th, school secretary, mother accused daughter of stealing $400 of meat and says refuses to pack lunch, she will hog down and stash up her sleeve. Uh, 9705, a medical professional said the child has not put on weight in a year. The child is 10 and appears to be five. No reaction. Uh, 2.10.06, a teacher, children not fed, called stupid, retarded, and thieves. 100% certain the children are not safe. Still nothing. Still nothing. Very frustrating. Uh, we do have a statement from the Washington State Child and Protective Services, um, and I, I think we should read it. Accountability is key to our pursuit of excellence in transforming lives. The performance of the Children's Administration over the last two years has been nothing short of spectacular. 
when it comes to saving lives within the budget it has been given. We understand the solution for some is to blame the caseworker every time a mistake is made, but when we are 30% above a reasonable caseload, that can be like sending the Seahawks to play the Super Bowl with two-thirds of the team and then firing them when they lose. Well, there you have their statement. It just says, you know, we're overworked and understaffed. I, I, I do get that. I, I truly do get it. I think Child Protective Services nationwide is understaffed and overworked. That's just the reason behind the failures, but the failures continue. We'll be right back. Attorney and legal analyst Areva Martin says the state of Washington failed these children just straight up. They obviously thought so as well. They've paid out $166 million to children that have been failed by the system. Areva, what do you think of that statement? It's stupid. <laughs> I can't say it's just dumb because you're paying $166 million in settlements why not use that money to hire more workers, to make a better system, to better address the needs of kids like these kids we're looking at? It's not going away. The statement doesn't tell us anything about how they're addressing this problem. And I will say in defense of the caseworkers themselves, they are overworked. They walk yeah. into their desk and they've got a, a stack of files here this deep and they, they, they try to get through them. There's only so many hours in the day. The, the caseworkers are the first ones to say, yes, the system is broken. We need more staff, we need more money, we need more resources. Um, and I, when you see an ad litem uh, that doesn't go past the front room, that doesn't evaluate, there's just no excuse for that. I just don't understand that. I've worked as an ad litem. I, I, I cannot understand how you would not go get social workers and do complete and thorough home studies and look at everything. The last thing that needs to be done is for them to say, okay, we're gonna make a, a settlement for you guys. And so that washes our hands and you're out there. There's huge gaps that are created because you, you didn't have the opportunities developmentally because of the experiences that you've been through. Those gaps can be closed. They need to be closed. Uh, but giving you large sums of money and saying, okay, now we don't feel guilty about it is ridiculous. The support needs to continue. And you have to protect yourself. And I assume there are trusts that have been set up for, yes. for both of you, right? Yeah. And you'll have somebody in that trust that will help you saying no. And, but you'll be given a certain amount of money and you, and you need to protect that and, and use that for yourself and not be giving it away to friends and people that come with their handout saying, I need money, I need money. You need to learn it's okay to say no. It's time to be selfish in your own behalf. Take care of yourself, nurture yourself and close that gap and you need help and support in doing that. Now, <clears throat> Two years ago, Krista did meet her biological mother for the first time. Krista will tell us about that next.
Want to get something off your chest? Sign up for the DrPhil.com community and weigh in on your favorite episodes and share your personal stories with other community members. Plus, get started on your own blog to share your thoughts on the topics that interest you most. I'll be reading those message boards. Log on to DrPhil.com today. Well, two years ago, Tina says she found Krista's biological mother, Dora. And uh, so you said one of the things that kind of kept you going is you did want to meet your biological mother, and you did. Right. Uh, how has that worked out? Pretty well, actually. This is your mother, Dora, right here. Right, Dora? Good to meet you. Um, and um, you, you placed her for adoption when she was two, correct? Yeah, she was a little younger than that. When you do that, you, you hope against hope that they will find that soft place to land and that they will have a, a wonderful trip through their life because that's why you do it, right? You want them to have a better chance. I was watching it on TV and I was thinking to myself, what a monster. A few months went by and got a call from my daughter. As I said, you know, this is a cautionary tale. Robin and I are the official spokespersons for CASA, the National Court-Appointed Special Advocates Association. And it's CASA's mission to support and promote court-appointed volunteer advocacy for abused and neglected children so they can thrive in safe and permanent homes. And when there are so many overworked caseworkers, where the CASA volunteers come in is they don't have 40 or 50. Uh, cases, they have like one or two a year where they put their arm around the shoulders of a, of a child and they look after that child. They go to their court hearings with them. They monitor their placements in the foster system or in their adoptive situations so they can look and pay very close attention to what's going on. And that kind of CASA volunteer can really help a situation like this from happening. And they've helped over two million children, but a lot are unserved. So please get involved and help us. You can do it by becoming a volunteer or donating. And, uh, you can call 1-800-628-3233 or you can visit their website, casaforchildren.org. And if you suspect abuse or neglect of a child, call the National Child Abuse Hotline at 800 for a child, 800 for a child. Put it on somebody's radar and hope that somebody reacts to it and pays attention. I want to thank all of my guests today, especially Krista for your bravery and coming here. Ian, thank you so much uh, for sharing your story. Also a special thanks to Ariva Martin for information on today's show. Log on to drphil.com. Thanks, so long. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.